0: Hi, this is Brent Skousen, the youngest son of W. Cleon Skousen. What you are about to hear is a live recording of a university lecture by W. Cleon Skousen as he taught his Old Testament course. We really are fortunate to have these recordings, although at the time they weren't anticipated to be released publicly. As these lectures were recorded live, they are unscripted and unedited. You will feel as though you are actually there. If you are following the Come, Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have tried to coordinate each lecture with this week's lesson, although there may be some overlap. For those interested in the text Brother Skousen and the students are using, it is published as The First 2,000 Years, written by W. Cleon Skousen, and is available at bookstores or online at skousen2000.com. Now sit back and join us in the classroom of W. Cleon Skousen. Enjoy!
1: Now, I thought I'd introduce our uh, lesson today by sharing with you something uh, that occurred about 20 years ago. Uh, There was a very famous uh, radio series that took the Bible right from the beginning and went right on through to the end and tried to actually dramatize the great events that occurred in Bible days. One of the most remarkable records that they made or programs they put on with some of the top stars out of Hollywood doing it uh, was the Adam and Eve sequence. And I thought I'd share with you about um, seven or eight minutes of it um, from the time of her creation uh, on through to uh, the, the difficulties which arose. The conversations between them are just tremendous and while they didn't have access to our records, they guessed that it must have happened. The fact that the gospel was given uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ was taught to Adam is right in the record. They just assumed that God who loves everybody would have would have taught them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So they've got it in there. It's not in the Bible, but they've got it in there. Uh, there are also a few little other insights they don't get, but it's important to understand that there really were some conversations between Adam and Eve. They were real people, innocent, didn't remember the magnificent people they were. They were put into the Garden of Eden in a state of um, amnesia, not knowing who they were, and uh, that was the only way God could achieve. We'll discuss that afterwards. I just wanted to share these seven or eight minutes with you um, from, from this particular program.
2: Adam was busy and happy there in his garden home with his pets and animals. But God saw that he would be happier still with a human companion. So God caused Adam to sleep. Then he performed an operation, removing one of Adam's ribs. From that rib, God made a woman. Hello. Oh, oh, you... You startled me.
3: I didn't mean to.
2: You... You're not one of God's
3: angels? No. Who are you? I am Eve. Eve? I am your companion, Adam.
2: My companion? Where did you come from? Heaven?
3: God created me from one of your ribs.
2: He did? <laughs> you... You are beautiful.
3: Everything God created is beautiful. The grass. Trees, this garden, everything.
2: God created it all for me. I mean, for us. It is our home. He's catching Everything here is for our special benefit and delight. For our happiness.
3: And I'm sure we'll be happy here, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, Adam. Hmm? This, this beautiful thing. What is it?
2: That Eve is a flower, a rose. Would you like to pick it?
3: May I? Of
2: course. God created all the flowers for us for our pleasure. Pick all you wish. They'll never wither or die.
3: Wither? Die? What do those words mean, Adam?
2: Well, I don't quite understand myself, Eve. God told me that things would wither and die only if we sinned against God.
3: Sin? And what is that?
2: Sin is merely another word for disobedience to God's wishes, his laws.
3: Why would anyone want to disobey God?
2: I'm sure I don't know.
3: God is our creator. He certainly knows what's best for us. Why, to disobey him would be folly. Yes, Eve. There's certainly no question but that we will obey him, is there?
2: We will obey God, always.
3: I... Well, Adam, I... I have a strange feeling in my stomach.
2: You're probably hungry. Hungry? Yes, you need to eat. I'll pick some fruit for you.
3: I would like some of that fruit, Adam.
2: No, 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 Eve.
3: Oh, please, Adam, it it looks so delicious.
2: It probably is, but we can't eat it.
3: Why not?
2: It is the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God has forbidden us to eat of it.
3: Oh, then we'll not eat of it. God knows best, and, well, if he told us not to eat it, we won't.
2: (laughs) You make me very happy, Eve.
3: I'm happy too, Adam. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And so began life for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. One day, while Adam was pruning some vines, Eve, contrary to God's warning, wandered away from Adam's side. Before she realized it, she was in the very center of the garden, looking up at the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil.
3: Oh, what beautiful, delicious-looking fruit. I wonder why God forbade us to eat it.
4: Oh, well, God
3: knows best, and if he says Excuse
4: it, but... me, um, did God forbid you to eat this fruit?
3: Yes, uh... what? Who's speaking to me?
4: A friend.
3: I don't see anyone.
4: Where are you? Up here, high up in the tree. Well, I still don't see anyone. Don't you see a serpent?
3: Yes, but... Well, serpents can't talk.
4: Ah, but you're mistaken, Eve. I'm a serpent, and I'm talking. Oh, but Eve, tell me, did God really forbid you to eat the fruit of this tree? Yes. Oh, why? If if we eat that fruit, we'll die. God told you that? Yes. (laughs) Well, God did tell us that. (laughs) Oh, my dear Eve, you're beautiful, but you're not very wise. Do you want to know the real reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit?
3: Why, well, he doesn't want us to die. <laughs>
4: well,
3: then why did God tell us not to eat?
4: <laughs> Because he doesn't want you to be as wise as he is. Oh, now what's that got to do with it? If you eat this fruit, Eve, you will become as wise as God himself. I don't believe you. I speak the truth.
3: God said if we even touch the fruit, we'll die. Oh,
4: nonsense, Eve. You won't die. You'll become wise. As wise as God himself. I don't believe you. I speak the truth, Eve. Here. Here, take some of the fruit. See? You're touching it now. And you're not dead.
3: I'm not, am I?
4: now eat some eat just a little bit and you won't die either go on eat some
3: well uh, a little bite won't hurt will it
4: of course not all right then. just a tiny bite that's the spirit eve that's the way does it taste good eve yes, yes it tastes very good see i told you it would now go on Eat another bite. All right. A bigger one this time. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) Now eat all of it. Eat it all.
3: Yes, I will. (laughs) Oh, this
4: is good fruit. Oh, and why don't you take some to Adam and get him to eat it too? I
3: will. Yes, I will. We'll both become
4: God. Now, see there, Eve. See how wise you are already. And free, like God himself. Now on Eve, don't let anyone, not even God, tell you what to do or what not to do. Eat what you want to eat and do what you want to do. You're wise now, and you can rule your own life. Oh, Serpent, I'm so happy.
3: I'm going to take some of this fruit to Adam. Good. Oh, but please don't leave. I will. I want Adam to come back and meet
4: you. Oh, don't worry, Eve. Adam will meet me many a time. <laughs>
3: Oh, yes,
2: Adam. Eve. I, I was wondering where... Why, Eve, what's the matter? You look excited,
3: oh, almost frightened. I am excited, Adam. I just had the most thrilling experience. I, I talked to a serpent. You what? I talked to a serpent, a, a snake.
2: <laughs> Eve, what have you done? Tell me exactly what happened.
3: Well, I, I was standing there under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. when all The tree of I... the
2: knowledge of good and evil? Eve, what have you done?
3: I talked to a serpent. He was up in the tree Eve. and I...
2: He must be the enemy God warned us about.
3: He's our friend, Adam. He said so.
2: Eve. Eve, did you eat the forbidden fruit? Eve. What? Did you eat the forbidden fruit?
3: Yes. Yes, I did.
2: No. No, Eve, you didn't. You you couldn't.
3: I did. And I'm not dead, either. I'm not going to die. The serpent said I wouldn't.
2: He is the enemy God warned us about.
3: Nonsense here, Adam. I I brought some of the fruit for you. Eat it and, and together we'll
2: become God's. No, no, Eve. I can't eat it. We'd die. We'd both die. I've
3: already eaten it, haven't I? And I'm not dead. Oh, please, Adam. No. If you love me, you'll eat it.
2: I do love you, Eve. I love you very much, but I cannot disobey God.
3: You love God more than you do me.
2: Oh, Eve, don't be ridiculous. I do Ridiculous?
3: You don't love me or you wouldn't talk to me like that, Adam.
2: (laughs) Eve. All right. Give me the fruit. I'll eat it. Together we'll die.
3: Together we'll become gods, Adam.
2: Together we will die. (laughs) it tastes good. It's very good. I
3: I told you.
2: Maybe you're right. Maybe this fruit will make us like God.
3: Oh, Adam, isn't it wonderful? Oh, yes,
2: yes, Eve. It, it, it... No, no, it can't be true. Oh, I... Eve, we have sinned, and God will punish oh, us.
3: Don't be absurd, Eve, Adam.
2: Eve, God's presence has already left us. Feel the air; it, wow. it's becoming chilly, it
3: cold. Is. Oh, Adam, Adam, I, I'm afraid. Adam,
2: what do we do? I don't know, Eve. You should have thought about that before you ate the fruit.
3: Are you blaming me for this?
2: I'm blaming no one.
3: It's your fault you
2: let me go near that tree. I let you go? Yes. (laughs) You sneaked away when I wasn't looking. I
3: did not. You did. I did not. You
2: did, and furthermore, if you had any sense, you wouldn't have been fooled by a serpent.
3: So now I don't have any sense. That's right. Don't you dare yell at me, Adam. Who's yelling? You are. I am not. And you're mean to me.
2: I am mean to you. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I
3: were dead.
2: Dead? Well, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, Eve See what sin has already done to us We're quarreling and fighting
4: Yes, you are quarreling, aren't you? <gasps>
3: it's the serpent, Adam Yes,
4: it's I, Eve <laughs> Get out You have no right in this garden I have every right, Adam I'm the prince of this world And I intend understand...
2: I am the prince of this oh, world Oh,
4: you were, Adam You were But when you yielded to me by eating the forbidden fruit, you yielded to my superiority. You lost dominion of this earth, and I took over. Now you will do as I say.
2: (laughs) Leave this garden at once. You are God's
4: enemy, our enemy. Enemy of God, yes. You see, God and I had a war in heaven once, Adam. He won that war, but I'll win the next one, the one here on earth. The one that started when you ate the fruit. (laughs) And someday, someday I shall rule from God's throne. Master of the universe. (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm God's enemy. (laughs) Leave this garden.
2: I command you to leave.
4: I command
2: and you obey. In the name of God, I command you to leave. No,
4: no, don't say that. Don't use that name around me.
2: I don't like it. I can't stand it. In the name of God, leave this garden at once. All
4: right. All right, Adam. I'll leave, but I'll be back plenty of time. (laughs)
3: Adam.
2: Adam, I'm afraid. We have need to be afraid, Eve. But let's always remember, if we call on God, we can overcome the adversary, just as we now overcame him. Look at these flowers, Adam. They're not pretty like
3: they were. They've
2: withered and died.
3: Oh, Will this this death happen to us?
2: The penalty of sin is death. <coughs> Soon after this, Adam and Eve were told that they would have to move from the garden.
3: Move from the garden? But but we can't move. This is our home.
5: You have sinned. As sinners, you have no right this perfect paradise home.
3: But I... I don't want to leave.
5: Does the Lord (laughs) still love us even though we have sinned? The Lord still loves you and always will.
3: Then why is he making us leave our home? That doesn't sound like love to me.
5: Eve, Eve, (laughs)
2: forgive her for the way she is acting. She is wrought up and sad. Doesn't realize what she's saying.
5: All heaven is sad. But there is no other way. You must leave the garden. Will
3: we... Wither and die like the flowers?
5: The wages of sin is death. The moment you sinned, that very moment you began to die, to grow old. You started on the downhill path to death in the grave. Is there
2: no hope for us? No salvation?
5: Yes, Adam, there is hope. God will someday send his only begotten son to save you from your sins and redeemed the lost world.
3: When will this be?
5: The exact time is unimportant. Until the Savior does come, you and Adam will go outside the garden and start a new home. Invite God to be its ruler, and you will have a happy home. We will do as you say.
3: How is the Savior to come into the world?
5: He will be born as a babe.
3: Will I be his mother?
5: I cannot reveal that to you, Eve. Come, Eve.
2: We must go outside the garden and start a new home. A happy, God-fearing home.
3: Yes,
1: Adam. When I was preparing the uh, first 2,000 years... The thing that impressed me over and over again was that we had allowed Adam and Eve to become figments of literature rather than reality. They were real people, great people, and there was much of this kind of conversation between them. And you see, they had their first two generations of children. Uh, They grew to maturity, no gospel to teach them. You're going to come to that. And all during that period Mother Eve didn't know but what she had been the one that made the terrible blunder that got them into that predicament. So when they were seventy, they began to get the new revelation, and then they then that tremendous story began that the Bible tells about. But if we didn't have the book of Moses, you see, we'd know nothing about the first two generations. Now we know considerably about this this whole setup. We know, for example, that all of the Earth, the crust of the Earth was united with Eurasia. All of America and Eurasia and Australia and the islands of the sea uh, were were, um, basically united into one land. That's a bit of a challenge to the scientific mind um, that is accustomed to thinking of universal uniformitarianism uh, as being the key to the past, the Lord said, no, I've interfered every so often and really geared things up. I've I've really expedited things. And actually the division of the continent was very recent. Uh, it happened about 2200 B.C. in the days of Peleg. And all the ancient peoples talk about Atlantis and the great land that was separated and disappeared. They got All of them have that story the Bible said what actually happened was the seas came in between segments of the continent. Now now that we know a little bit about the magma, the internal part of the globe which is uh, molten, we know that it could have been by continental drift, but uh, if I had my National Geographic globe here I could rather dramatically demonstrate that around each continent there's a drop of about three miles just like a knife had cut it. It doesn't go off as though it had, you know, gradually uh, broken away and so forth. Uh, Nearly all of the continents have a, a very clean cut, goes right down three to five miles right into the ocean. And the 133rd section would suggest the possibility that the floor would rise. At least the seas are driven back. So we keep both theories in mind, not knowing which one is the correct one but we just know the event occurred. Now we know the Garden of Eden was on the part of that big chunk of Tierra firma that we now call the Western Hemisphere. Our Heavenly Father identified the locale for the Garden of Eden. We actually know where it was. Now obviously when Noah and his sons uh, landed in a completely new territory which is now considerably around the earth from us, nearly uh, forty percent of the way on around, they began naming things by the old home uh, names. So they named one big river near where they were, Euphrates, which was one of the rivers that ran out of the Garden of Eden. So people said, well, if we get over in that area, that's where the Garden of Eden was. And They're nearly halfway around the world from where the real Garden of Eden was. So if we didn't have revelation on it, we, we would be as at loss as anybody. But it's in about the geographical, not quite, the geographical center of the North American continent. And the Lord says, it's in that spot that I will build my great capital city in the last days. And everything else being equal, you should live to see it. Um, We have... uh, the. We have a suggestion that in our articles of faith that the whole earth will receive its paradisiacal glory as it was before the fall, you see. So it was the whole earth. Now the earth had been very carefully prepared, and as far as we can tell, because the uh, the Lord has never told us, the preparation of the earth seems to have taken a long time. The earth, many, Most of the early brethren assumed that it took a long time. Uh, The Protestants assumed that it took just six days or six periods of time, but our church uh, from the beginning uh, suggested the earth's preparation took a long time. Then in modern times Brother Joseph Fielding and uh, Brother um, Cook uh, got together and and found out that many of these things that we thought would have taken so long might have happened much faster. So they injected the other thesis as a possibility uh, the fact of the matter is that Abraham, which describes the earth, just simply said it was prepared so that the sea would support fish life, and then the land was prepared so that it would support um, various types of animal life, including the highest uh, form, uh, which is man. And the, uh, the, the skies were prepared so that they would give the proper balance in uh, oxygen and hydrogen, etc. So um, how that preparation took place is one of the exciting riddles that the Lord lets us explore and dig and guess about. But we mustn't quarrel about it because nobody really knows all that's happened to the earth. And I suggested to you last time the very fact that the earth was only turning over every 1,000 years, which no scientist can either prove or disprove. We simply have it in the book of Abraham that such was the case, that prior to the fall the earth was in a completely different environment. This would rather suggest humility on reaching conclusions. However, the preparation of the earth by having millions of generations live and die uh, was, uh, is a possibility that exists there. Then after it was finished, there was no flesh upon the earth, suggesting that whatever life had been on the earth to prepare it, if it took millions of generations to prepare it, it was all wiped clean. Because as of the time that God said on the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day, we will bring man down here, there was no flesh upon the earth. And when Adam was introduced, he was the first flesh to come on the prepared earth. Now, these are the facts in the scriptures. So everything else, we speculate out from there. Uh, if, the, if life was used to prepare the coal and the oil and these thousands and thousands, these thousands of feet of lime made by little animals whose bodies are piled up one on the other, if that was done during the preparatory stages, then all that life was eliminated on the Sabbath day preparatory to man's coming. Because he came first, then animal life, President Young said, didn't evolve, but was transplanted from other planets here. And was brought in fresh, each according to its kingdom and its kind, and each thereafter begot after its kind. Now as we study DNA, we find that the micromutations are just fascinating. Uh, you got um, all the cat family, which is a kind, Diversifying to the point where they can't interbreed anymore, therefore, they become new species as such. But they're still the same kind. Got your little house cat, you see, and you got your tiger. And we find that uh, now that we're studying DNA, that in the house cat, there's a potential tiger mine, anyway. (coughs) And uh, (coughs) given a a period of time, this DNA will go in every direction. We've also found that. the DNA, which is the, in the chromosomes and the genes, as you know, will react to environment. And you take the ordinary sparrow, gray sparrow from England, which they brought over here in about 1848. The sparrows that went south developed, began to develop a, a certain kind of plumage, completely foreign to them. And the ones that went north started to grow lighter and lighter, meaning that the, one, the lighter they got, the more likely they were to survive. A lot of them went black, maybe, or a lot of them went somewhere else, but they'd all be eliminated. And the one that could survive in that environment gets to be the one that perpetuates itself, which is real interesting. But you don't get the macro mutations. They have have to assume that they're they're there. the, The little micro mutations where you get cats becoming all kinds of different cats, but still cats, that's very easy to demonstrate. But cats becoming a whole completely different species, that's something else. Or I should say a different kind, a different genus, a different order. That doesn't happen. So you who are in science, don't let it bother you a bit. Our Heavenly Father has just said, what I have done is as sacred as what I have said. So listen to what I have said, then go take a look. And when I I come in the, the beginning of the millennium, I'll tell you what really happened. And it will be knowledge which no man knew. Section 101. So that really makes us humble. But I think those who have dug in the rocks and those who have considered all the possibilities and all the theories without quarreling, just simply say, well, that's what it looks like. It looks like there was um, a big boom and the universe spread out like that. Uh, uh, We can almost fix the date at least when it seems to have happened for the earth. And... um, we think that's the case. Then somebody comes along and says, but you overlook this and so, oh, well, then it's a little different. That's the way science goes. So don't quarrel. Take a look. Figure out what you can and study your scriptures. Because what the Lord said will eventually fit what the Lord did. That you can be sure of. But I, I, as I got into this and as I studied Brigham Young and the brethren that were close to the prophet who knew so much about these things that never got on the record... In fact, just before his death, he wished he, he said, I, if I could just talk to the saints once more before I died, there's so much I held back. But in the wisdom of God, I think he should have held it back because the little bit that spilled over, our people get into Relief Society and, uh, and priesthood meetings, and it got so bad in 1894, uh, Brother Woodruff said, Brethren, God is God, Christ is Christ, Adam is Adam, and you are you. Will you please leave it there? And get out there and plow your fields and do what you're supposed to. That's all. They were completely preoccupied with uh, the little bit that had spilled over and they couldn't quite figure it out. Then somebody made up a theory that um, Adam was Elohim and um, Joseph Smith was the Holy Ghost and they apostatized and all went off by themselves. And uh, so the brethren said, all right, now, truth is truth we've only got part of that truth and you're filling in the chinks with speculation and all of your fighting and quarreling now stop it stop it the earth is here we're here and God's there and we want to get back up there and he'll show us how he did it so stay with the ship that's the message of the brethren all right now did you all pretty well figure out in your mind or or clarify in your mind what I told you about the creation, that as far as we can tell, and in these classes I merely share with you my, my own best thinking on the subject. If I can get a hold of more information, I'll share that with you. But as of this moment, uh, Moses, which is the improved version of Genesis, the way Moses really wrote it, uh, he tells about the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days and uh, then comes on down to an earth that's all prepared on the seventh day and continues, man having been created in the pre-existence on the sixth day, he doesn't tell us anything about that earth. Abraham, on the other hand, uh, scoops up the pre-existence part, then tells about the preparation of the earth on each of these days so that Adam was able to come in on the seventh day. That's how we know Adam's is the temporal creation. Because the 77th section is where Joseph Smith says the arrival on this earth was the seventh day. So as soon as we discovered Abraham describing an earth where Adam arrived the seventh day, we identified that with the temple creation. But he doesn't say how the Lord would prepare the earth for fish and animals. He just said it was done. Was it done by taking a ball of volcanic rock and salt water and letting the algae start working on it, breaking it down into soil, and then working generations and generations upon it to put put in the natural resources? Is that the way he did it? Many think that that's the way it was. Brother Orson Pratt did, Brother B.H. Roberts, Brother Talmage, Others believe that that was done pretty fast. So... We contemplate and listen to these various points of view. The fact of the matter is an earth was prepared so it would support high, highly um, specialized protoplasmic life, which constitutes human beings. We are very complicated, and we're in the image of God. And it's exciting how we came here, not as a descendant of lower life, but we came here from... From outer regions, and the Lord says to Moses, "Now don't ask me anymore. I'm not going to tell you about the outer regions. Only concerning this earth, reveal I am to thee." And and Moses said, "All right, reveal that, and thy servant will be content." But he wasn't. Uh, Okay, now the purpose of earth life is very unique, and it's it's difficult for us to visualize why element on the spirit level is so limited, but spirit element is very perfect. If you can visualize um, uh, a, a particle of spirit element and an independent intelligence out here. Now, uh, the Lord takes that intelligence, puts it inside the matter, as Brigham Young says, and he said this, this matter, this element, because spirit is, is a high order of matter, is capacitated to receive intelligence. Once it receives intelligence, you can command it. And you can say to that, now combine with that other little fellow over there that has an intelligence in it, and they combine. And you can give a law, as the Doctrine of says, to everything in existence and organize them. Now, at this stage, the spirit element is so perfect and responsive to the intelligence that you don't learn anything. Uh, it just responds. It does everything you want it to do. Uh, you don't have any of the experiences we're having down here of having to fight the matter. We don't don't seem to have had that problem at all. Spirit matter seems to be tremendously responsive to the organized intelligence within it, and um, therefore it is necessary to have uh, the gross matter uh, put over the top of this. And that's what you got in the form of your body, so that inside you have the intelligent spirit. Uh, element that's the spirit element with an intelligence in it uh, and superimposed here now in the resurrection these two become one both types of element come together like ice uh, in a pan of water the ice melts you've got one element again haven't you at the moment you have water and ice and they seem different but they actually were the same thing in the resurrection they come together and you never can separate them again and the early brethren said The second death consists of having a resurrected body as a son of perdition for a period of time, during which time Cain will be able to rule over Satan, who will just have a spirit. And Cain will say, you haven't got it yet. I'm above you. And he will be. He'll rule over Lucifer for a period. And then the brethren said, that wonderful kingdom, that resurrected kingdom, with these trillions and billions of intelligences and particles of matter will disintegrate and leave that master intelligence that was in charge of it, namely Lucifer or Cain or Judas, stripped and naked with no embodiment whatever, to be cast back into outer darkness from which we came. 88th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. And then... uh, the brethren, when they found that doctrine, immediately began to say, Oh, goody, they get another chance. Isn't that nice? And the Lord was there with a revelation right like that and said, Don't you, brethren, ever teach that they get another chance. I've never authorized that. And I've thought about that a lot. If one were fortunate enough to reach godhood and uh, you were scooping out a big... uh, A lot of intelligence to organize planets and get things going, you know, for your own system. That's your future, isn't it? To organize planets? All right. You scoop out of outer darkness then the necessary intelligence and matter and all of a sudden up pops (sniffs) Lucifer. Stripped now, just a naked intelligence. Hello, Brother Skalson. Ooh, hello. I've learned my lesson. I want to be part of yours now? I'll really help you. I'll really do a good job this time. Ooh, Lucifer. You're smarter than I am. You're a son of the morning, born long before I was, and you betrayed my heavenly father. I, I couldn't possibly take a chance on you. Couldn't possibly. Sorry. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that's one of the reasons the Lord says don't ever say they get another chance. But that's speculation on my part. All we have is the teaching of the early brethren that the second death consists of literally losing the spirit if it's a satanical spirit or the physical resurrected body in due time if it's a resurrected son of perdition. And then be cast back out with all that knowledge and experience into absolute chaos, which is outside the organized kingdoms of the Father. The Father says space is that part of eternity where I have organized kingdoms. And there is no space in which I don't have my organized kingdoms, and no kingdoms in which I don't have space. But what is beyond God's organized kingdoms? That seems to be the outer darkness of chaos, where we're constantly expanding the universe and conquering it. In other words, space represents God's conquered territory, or the family of the gods. And we probably will have to scoop out some more and bring it in, organize it, formulate it into patterns, make a planet, and thus the Father says, I go in one eternal round. That's how big Mormonism is. Once God had restored the gospel, our minds just went off. In advance of science, actually. Science is just catching up with intelligence in matter. We've been teaching it for over a century. Well, we should have been teaching it. We taught it for two generations and lost it. But we got it back in the mainstream now. And now science comes along and says, what do you know? Bergson, the philosopher, says, there's finite intelligence in matter. Considerable evidence there's finite intelligence in matter. I sat in lectures with Robert... Millican down at Caltech and heard him preach that doctrine, and I thought, he's stealing Brigham Young's stuff. (laughs) But the church had lost it. We got it resurrected now and back in the mainstream of LDS thought. Can you give us some reference on the second death? Yes. Yes, I have a whole um, handout on it, and a little later in the course, I'll see if I can have a quantity of the mimeograph so that you can have it. But it's a, it was a well established teaching over a period of about 50 years, and then, like so many other things, you know, we got to fighting Indians and, and moving up into the mountains and fighting crickets, and a few other things got in our way, and we lost it. it be safe to say or to
4: summarize
1: now, say that again.
4: Spiritual degeneration.
1: Uh, that would describe what? The, Se- the spiritual degeneration. Well, yes, well. Let's let's look at it this way. Here, supposing I were a son of perdition. Now, here I have this magnificent body that's been obedient. Um, I'm the master intelligence, aren't I, up here somewhere? I got a seat of government up there. I notice when I shut my eyes down, this is down from me, and this is out from me, and this is up from me. So I assume I'm, I got a seat of government in there somewhere, and I've always existed. I've always known who I was. And I got this wonderful body and then I sinned would it be right for this body to have to go into outer darkness with me because I have sinned wouldn't would it so it re- would disintegrate I would say rather than degenerates in fact though this is the way the brethren taught it that the resurrected body goes back to resurrect a resurrected earth and becomes a part of it um, and the naked stripped son of perdition intelligence then goes back to its own place again. Now that word "again" in the Doctrine and Covenant suggests that's where we came from in the first place. It will then go again back into its own place. Another question. Well, that is the spirit. You see, the spirit in the resurrection, the spirit and the temporal element come become one, like ice and water when ice melts. Right? They become one, and then they. Um, and that's the material that, having been glorified and resurrected, will disintegrate into its respective parts and become part of the planet to which it belongs, while the spirit, the intelligence, I should say, is cast out. So what's the real essence, now what's that? What is the, real, what's the, real, real thing? the real essence is an intelligence. But that's why I say your body is millions of intelligences organized together in matter millions of particles of matter and intelligence. I and mean, it obeys you, you see. It's wonderful, marvelous. But you've got one intelligence, the master intelligence up there, that's supposed to dominate all these rest, the rest of them and say, now get up and go to priesthood, see? That's you. Uh, the others say, no, well, the late, late show made me tired. I'm sorry, I want to sleep in. Okay, now I'm gonna let the class out at one minute to the hour so you don't need to get nervous. You'll have plenty of time put on your coats when it's cold, and put your benches down. And So out of courtesy to everybody, we don't start to leave till everybody leaves together. And uh, sometimes it's pretty exciting at the end of the class, and I might just go over, so you, everybody just start pointing at the clock, you see that helps. But anyway, I, I talk against the clock. And I just wanted to mention, now there are some things that we had to get on this earth that we couldn't get in the spirit world, that's what I wanted to emphasize. Can you name four or five of them? You couldn't possibly get it in heaven. Yes,. I think it's a correct uh, deduction. I have it over here in about page about the about three or four more chapters over dealing with Cain, that um, that the probability is that he did all the formal things that were necessary, but in his in his bosom he had a nest of serpents there. and the Lord said, well, I've got to get this out in the open before he gets up into godhood or he'll destroy a whole segment of my kingdom. So he put him in the right place, gave him the priesthood, and he exploded. So you see, God has to eliminate those who are unworthy as well as glorify those who are humble and, and are worthy. Good point. All right, now another thing. To obtain the fullness of joy, to obtain a physical body, to be able to get a companion for time and eternity, to be able to have, yes, yeah, to be able to have children. And now, just a word about delayed judgment. Isn't it a fantastic thing that down here, uh, where you find yourself sinning? She picks up the apple, you see, and she says, "And I didn't die, did I? God told me not to touch it, and I've touched it, and I'm not dead." That's yeah, delayed judgment. Okay. And, um, and she ate it, and uh, it take, takes a little while. Now, actually what God does is to give us a chance to turn around and then wipe it out with the atonement if we will abandon it forever. The doctrine of the atonement is just magnificent. And here in this stage of your life, you may have been very obedient to God, been tempted many times, but nothing real horrendous has happened in your life. On the other hand, some of you have really had scars that you never want to have brought before the judgment bar. Our Heavenly Father says that life before you're through will scar you, and you will be the first to say, Heavenly Father, ooh, that was ugly. That certainly wasn't my best self. And I offended. I offended God. I offended my loved ones. I offended. Now, before you're through, you'll say that. It happens to everybody. When President McKay told me that that had happened to him, I could scarcely believe him. But he assured me that that he had to repent and work and work at it like everybody. I knew that President Grant did, uh, a great uncle of mine, and he told me how his youth was pretty rough. His mother was a widow and so forth. So don't any of you get discouraged. There's a chance to blot it out. You can blot out these offenses, but overcome them as fast and as well as you can that you might reap your great inheritance. Now, is there any repentance in heaven? And he suspended. Apparently, before we came here, you had the free agency to sin if you wanted to, but you got the immediate impact. And that's probably one of the reasons why so many of us were obedient. Boy, a couple of times, we had it. I don't, I don't know. What do you want? And so we didn't learn too much. But now we are getting this other opportunity. And in, when we go back in the resurrected state, there is no repentance. You can sin, but if you do, you get it right now. Okay, we're adjourned. One minute, you see, right on, right on.